reading of Scripture this morning comes from the book of the Revelation to John, chapter 4. And I am not, this morning in the, in the sermon, going to give a full exposition of this chapter from Revelation, but I am reading it, we're reading it together, and encourage you to open your Bible or, or the Pew Bible for the reading of Revelation chapter 4, so that we might get the big picture, as it were, of the worship which, without ceasing, takes place in heaven. As I have said before, if we could but pull back the veil, we would be there. We would see that even now we are surrounded by the saints triumphant and the angelic beings around the throne of God. Heaven is not a place that is far, far away, but rather a different dimension which is hidden from our eyes. In the book of the Revelation, John records for us what he saw when that veil was pulled back. And he was enabled by God's Spirit to look into the throne room. And so we're focusing this morning on the vision of the worship of God that takes place in the heavenly throne room. Let us ask the Lord for his blessing. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for the promises of your word. And on the basis of the promise of your word, we ask in Jesus' name for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We ask, O oh God, that you would speak to us through Scripture and that your Spirit would illumine our minds and give us spiritual understanding, that your Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and enable us to behold your glory, that we might humble ourselves before you and offer ourselves more fully to you, to the glory of your name forever and ever. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now unto him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We conclude the Lord's Prayer the same way that we begin it. With our focus completely on God. The sovereignty, the majesty, the greatness, the wisdom, the power, the honor and glory of our Father who art in heaven. And it's important that we conclude the prayer with our hearts focused on God by saying, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory because due to the sinful nature residing within us, even while we are praying, our wayward hearts might be prone to mispray by saying, mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, or at least I want it. To be. You see, that was Adam's sin in the garden. Mine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So when we conclude the Lord's Prayer, or any, perhaps all of our prayers, with an ascription of praise to God, we are submitting ourselves. And surrendering ourselves to his kingship, his power, and his glory. Now, you see, in this concluding phrase, we, we are reminded. We're reminded that our life is not about us. That is to say, we are not the center of the universe. The world is not about us. The the world does not turn on its axis to glorify us. Oh, mm, how we wish it did. This concluding phrase reminds us that we are not the masters of our destiny. We are not the omnipotent rulers of our little world, our little fiefdoms, our little kingdoms. Oh no, it is not mine But thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, in addition to this reminder, the concluding phrase serves two main purposes. One, to ascribe to God the honor that is due him. And two, to encourage us to build up our faith in the assurance that our Father who art in heaven will hear and will answer our prayers offered in accordance with his word. Now, 
there is a scholarly question as to whether this concluding phrase was in fact spoken by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And many of the earliest manuscripts of Matthew do not include it as the footnote in your Bible may indicate. And for that reason, most of the modern translations of Matthew do not include it as part of the passage. But from ancient times in the liturgy of the Christian church, this phrase was and has been attached to the Lord's Prayer as its conclusion. And so in keeping with that tradition, we say it as well. But here's the important thing. Here's the point. Whether or not Jesus himself said this phrase when he taught the Lord's Prayer on that particular occasion of the Sermon of the Mount recorded in Matthew, it is appropriate, it is right, it is good that we should conclude the Lord's Prayer, and for that matter, all our prayers, with this phrase because it gives praise and honor and glory to God in a way that we hear expressed many times elsewhere in the Bible. It is a thoroughly biblical expression, which is perfectly consistent with the other ascriptions of praise found throughout Scripture. For example, when King David was dedicating the offerings which had been brought for the building of the temple in Jerusalem, this is 1000 B.C. approximately, he offered this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord God, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. That's from the book of First Chronicles. That prayer of King David provides us with the basic wording of this concluding phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And then throughout the Psalms, we hear very similar expressions. For example, Psalm 145 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon praised God with similar words saying, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. None can stop his hand. Now each one of these passages basically says, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we hear the same refrain running throughout the New Testament as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And we just read from the book of the Revelation chapter 4, which gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. We read of the, the hymn of the angelic beings and the redeemed saints. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So when we conclude the Lord's Prayer saying, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, do you see we're joining our voices. We're joining our voices and our hearts with the angels in heaven. And with the saints triumphant who have gone before us, 
affirming that our Father, who art in heaven, is the one and only one who is the sovereign king over heaven and earth, that he alone has all power, that he is the one who possesses all glory. So to put it very simply, this concluding phrase of the Lord's Prayer reminds us that God is God. And that ought to be a great comfort and a great encouragement to us. You see, it is, in fact, the very basis, the very rationale for all our prayers. Thine is the kingdom. Well, this means very simply that ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of history, in the great eternal day to come, the kingdom of God will be revealed as supreme over all the kingdoms of man. This is what it means. The eternal kingdom did not belong to the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, or the Romans, and the eternal kingdom does not belong to any human power or any nation in this world and never will. The kingdoms of this world rise and fall. But as Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Now, therefore, through all the ups and downs and uncertainties and anxieties which plague this world, we can and we must place our complete confidence and our total trust in God, whose kingdom is forever. To say, thine is the kingdom, is to say that there is no other power, there is no other authority, there is no other force or being in heaven or on earth which can ever dethrone or usurp the eternal king whom we call our father. We call him our father only because he has sent his eternal son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our brother of human flesh and blood. It is through faith in Christ who has come to us in brotherhood to redeem us as children of the Father, children of the eternal King. Thine is the kingdom. It is a great affirmation of the sovereignty of God who rules over heaven and earth as king, and it is a great encouragement to come before him as his beloved children, little brothers, little sisters of Jesus, to seek the blessings he has promised to give us. Thine is the power. It means that only God has the power to grant these requests and to provide for all our needs and to protect us from all evil. And only God has the power to raise us up from the dust of death on the last day. And so when we say, and the power, we are affirming our faith in God's power. We're entrusting ourselves into God's power. We are, in fact, asking God to answer our prayers with his power. It, it sounds so obvious, so, so basic and so simple. 
But it's important to remember that when we pray, we are praying for God to care for us and to answer us and to meet our needs with his infinite, almighty power. We are encouraged to call upon the power of God. The letter to the Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when we pray, thine is the kingdom and the power, you see, we ought to pray with great expectancy, with hope, with faith, because we know that our Father is the all-powerful King. His word says he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power, his power, at work within us. When you pray, remember, believe, call to mind, be conscious that you're praying to the omnipotent king of heaven and earth who created all things, who calls all the stars by name, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, holds the planets in their orbit, and who raised Jesus from the dead for your salvation. Thine is the power. It's a great affirmation of the fact that there is no power above God's power and is therefore a great encouragement to call upon our Father in heaven who has the power to meet our every need. Thine is the glory. means that all things were created by Him and for Him. All things exist All things happen in order ultimately to show forth, to prove the glory of God. The scripture says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the conclusion of Romans 11. And the point of all that is to say that ultimately all things are working together under God's sovereignty. So that at the last day and at the eternal day, his glory will be revealed. You see, glory, glory is what shines forth. From God's eternal attributes, his holiness, his moral perfection, his immortality, his infinite wisdom, his power, his goodness, his truth, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his love. These attributes of infinite perfection shine forth from his eternal being in a blinding light of glory. To say, to God be the glory, thine is the glory, is to say that God is worthy of all praise and honor and adoration and admiration and esteem and reverence and all the worship that all the creatures in heaven and on earth can offer. Now, that's exactly what we see taking place in heaven as revealed to us in the book of the Revelation. The glory of God shines forth And the saints in heaven together with the angelic beings respond by glorifying and praising God eternally 
for who he is. We can only weakly imitate glory. Is it, is, it, is it the glory of the athlete who is dancing in the end zone? Is that glory? Is it the glory of the celebrity performer who comes out on the stage, everything's blacked out except the lights coming down on him or her? You know the scene, right? Light show, fires coming up through the stage. We're not going to do those renovations here in the sanctuary, by the way. You know, but I mean, that's, what, what, what is that? You know, the smoke machine, fog machine, flames of fire busting up, lights going. You know what that is? That, that's just trying to imitate heaven. It's trying to imitate heaven. It's trying to create an ambiance, a vision of glory. Well, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a very weak imitation. And again, it is a, an attempt to steal that glory which is due only to God. You, you see, that's our problem. Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I want it. That's what Adam said. That's what we, in our fallen sinful nature, say. We reach out and take it for ourselves because we want to be kings. We want to rule with almighty power. We want things our way. And we want the glory for ourselves. That is the fallen human condition. That is what sin does to us, our sinful nature. But the gospel is that our Father who art in heaven sent Jesus into the world to save us from that primal Sin. God sent Jesus into the world for his own glory. And Jesus willingly denied himself. Jesus is the one who supremely said and acted upon thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Jesus willingly denied himself and took up the cross to pay the price for all our sin, for the glory of the Father. As horrible as the cross was, as evil as the crucifixion of Jesus was, in the sovereignty of God, because of his eternal plan, it brought glory to the Father. Because it accomplished His purpose for the salvation of those who believe. Jesus' death and resurrection was God's way of destroying death, breaking the curse, 
opening the prison gates and opening the gates of everlasting life in his everlasting kingdom for all who will repent of their sins and honor Jesus Christ as king. Here's your take home. When we submit, when we surrender, when we say with faith in Jesus Christ, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. When we give it all up and give it all over, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Then we receive. We receive the kingdom that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. We receive the power to live a new life for the glory of God and to live forever. And we receive not God's glory, but we share in the glory of God. His His glory comes upon us comes around us, enfolds us. He includes us, you see. And we participate in that eternal life in His kingdom, his, with His power, and enjoying His glory. So when you say, Thine is the glory, remember that it is also For His own glory that God grants you your daily bread. It is for His own glory that God forgives your debts. It is for His own glory that God delivers you from evil. These things bring glory to God. And when you say forever, remember, take heart, be glad, be greatly encouraged, be comforted. Forever is forever. We can't get our minds around that. Infinity and eternality are too much for us. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Our Father in heaven is unchangeable, unwavering, untiring, never diminished in His infinite, eternal goodness, power, wisdom, and love. His kingdom, power, and glory are forever. And through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we are included in that everlasting life, in the grandeur of His kingdom, in the security of His power, and in the presence of His glory forever. Forever. Amen? Amen. So be it. Let it be so. I believe it. It is true. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word, a firm foundation upon which we may stand. We may stand with confidence in our Savior Jesus, even in the presence of your holiness and glory. We pray that your Holy Spirit will renew our minds and strengthen our hearts and encourage our souls and give us grace and power that we might live as the citizens of heaven, even now on earth, to the praise of your glorious grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen.